All right. Thank you for all of those messages, especially those uh, coming on to wish the matric class well as they kickstart uh, their exams. And it always goes a long way. So let's get into our health talk now. Dr. Naeem Bray is the head of the stroke unit at Tigerberg Hospital and also lecturer at Stellenbosch University. Dr. Bray, good morning to you. Thank you for your time today. Hi, good morning, and thank you for for having me, and good morning to your listeners. Mm. You know, strokes are a really uh, big challenge for the entire world, and I would imagine that uh, South Africa is not exempt from some of these statistics that we see globally. Firstly, let's just talk where we are in South Africa when it comes to um, the prevalence of strokes. Um. So in terms of South Africa, we don't exactly have a a crystal clear picture of the burden of disease, and and that's actually part of the problem. Um, Our most recent estimates uh, suggest that there's over 100,000 strokes per year, uh, and it typically has between a 30 or 40% mortality rate. Um, my, My personal feeling is that's probably an underestimate. Um, and, and, and the reason for that is we've, we are, as a nation, we are undergoing a significant transformation. We have adopted uh, a different lifestyle and different eating pattern, and that has led to increases in obesity and hypertension. And to give you an example of, of the burden of stroke, um, we see close to 1,000 stroke patients at our hospital that we admit, and we see much more that, that we are unable to admit. And I am in my early 40s, and most days our stroke unit is filled with patients with stroke who are younger than me even. So what we are seeing is there's many, many patients having strokes, and they seem to be younger than in the rest of the world, probably by at least 15 if not uh, closer to 20 years younger. Mm. And and Dr. Bray, why is it that our information in terms of the prevalence of strokes in this country, why is it that you feel it's probably not adequate and that we're just not collecting that data? Yes, so so to the best of my knowledge, and and because stroke is such a vast field, uh, one can't sort of have a handle on everything, but my uh, uh, th- there is no clear, dedicated uh, um, collection of, of stroke uh, data. So the the data that is presented is generally actu- actually determined from death certificate data, um, and then it's imputed how many patients have strokes. But there are concerns about uh, um, using that uh, practice because not everyone who has a stroke will end up in a hospital and thus uh, they may not be recorded accurately. And then some patients uh, with mild symptoms don't present, but they'll still have significant disability. Um, so until we have a data collection system that crosses the boundaries between public and private, I don't think we'll have a, a, a really an accurate number. But in that vein, uh, I'm on, on a, a committee that's trying to promote the use of a international stroke database so that we can add to the data so that we can have a better uh, idea of what's happening in our hospitals. 
Let's talk then about what a stroke is and when one suffers from a, stro- a stroke, what are the symptoms that they're likely to experience? Okay, so that's an excellent question. Um, so a, a stroke is, there's two main groups. So the one is called ischemic. That's essentially uh, um, a clot in an artery. So a part of the brain becomes deprived of its blood supply, glucose, energy, and oxygen. Um, and that's an ischemic stroke. A hemorrhagic stroke, there's a rupture of an artery, and that leads to, to blood within the tissue. And basically, a stroke can present in many various uh, uh, manners. And the way a patient presents really depends on where that event takes place. So if it's in a key artery that supplies sort of the motor representation of the body, then the patient will have weakness as a presentation. So, so if I were to put that simply, most strokes have weakness of one half of the body. That's often face, arm, and leg, or a combination thereof. It may present with altered speech, so slurred speech or dysarthric speech. It may present with uh, double vision, or it may, in fact, prevent, uh, present with sort of disturbed speech that becomes unintelligible, and that is uh, because of the, the, the loss of the ability to process language. And, and uh, when someone has that, um, the immediate family may not recognize it as a stroke. And, and that neatly segues into why we should recognize stroke, why everyone should recognize stroke, because it's an absolute emergency. And the faster that you think about the stroke, the, the, the faster you can take someone to a healthcare center, the more useful it is in terms of initiating treatment. So if I can just summarize, there's two main types. There's a clot in the artery or a hemorrhage into the brain, and you may present with weakness, uh, sensory changes, altered speech, and that's stroke in a nutshell. Mm. I want to talk about why it's important for um, a quick response, particularly in an emergency situation where one perhaps may think that they're either feeling symptoms that are linked or related to a stroke or one is looking at somebody that they believe could well be undergoing some of these symptoms. So these warning signs, um, what are some of those that we have to be able to look out for? And when we talk about the fast method or the fast test uh, to check for what these symptoms are, talk to us about that. Sure. So, So I'll break that question into two parts. The one is, and thank you for the reminder about fast, so, so FAST is a wonderful acronym to sort of capture the essence of stroke and to also act FAST. So FAST, uh, it's F-A-S-T, that's the, the F stands for face, is the drooping in part of the face. When someone speaks, is the uh, asymmetry in the face. A refers to arm, and what the patient uh, should do is put the arms out and see if one side is weaker or if it's drifting. Uh, S stands for speech. Is the speech slurred or um, are they using uh, nonsensical words? Is it altered in some manner? So that's speech. And then T is for time. And, and so FAST is really a good acronym to highlight the urgency that's needed and the, the components to look out for. So it's face, arm, speech, and time. So we, so we have to think and act fast. And the reason we need to act fast 
is that certain treatments only work in a very narrow time frame. And the, the, the brain really um, has a very high metabolic demand. So it uses lots of blood, lots of oxygen. So even though it's such a small uh, uh, organ, relatively speaking, it consumes uh, uh, lots of blood and oxygen and glucose. So as soon as it supplies cutoff, neurons start dying. So, so brain cells literally start dying, and, and it can be as much as 2 million neurons a minute. Right, and so given that we we have to get someone to hospital so that we can get a scan to to assist in confirming the diagnosis, and depending on the type of stroke, if it's a clot in an artery, which is a more common type, fortunately we've got two excellent treatments, and the and the one colloquially the the term is clot busting therapy, so it uh, chemically dissolves the clot. And if that is unsuccessful, we can do what's called a thrombectomy. So we can take someone to a cath lab and then open the artery up mechanically. Um, and, and they have very strict time frames. So, so, so the message should be to, to everyone, if you're thinking about a stroke, go immediately to a hospital, not to a GP or a smaller clinic. Go to a hospital that has a scan that is able to manage strokes and tell them that um, your, your loved one is having a stroke. They, they should really expedite uh, seeing that patient, scanning that patient, and, in, and if appropriate, getting um, chemical uh, thrombolysis on board, so that clot-busting therapy. And, and those time frames are, are very strict. So, so really, what, what I've noticed is that many patients sit at home thinking, I think it will be better. Let me just wait a few hours or let me go and sleep. And the problem then is when they come to hospital, maybe six hours later, those neurons have died. We are unable to reverse the death of neurons. What we can do is prevent further uh, death of neurons if they come uh, promptly. Thank you so much for that, uh, Dr. Bray. So as you heard there, he's saying that, you know, the word that often is used is fast, and that's one uh, which you can use just to check somebody's symptoms so you're looking firstly at their face and you're checking their, their smile you know is it drooping on one end or not the a stands for the arms and you know you ask them to raise their arms i'm assuming dr bray you ask them to raise both arms hey eh? and, yeah, and and you check you check what happens when they're raising both of their arms and if they're unable to raise either of their arms then that also becomes a cause for concern. Yes, the, or, or yeah. even if they raise it and then it starts dropping again. Yeah, okay, okay, involuntary yes. drop. Yes. Okay, okay. And, and, and in terms of the, of, of, of the speech that, you know, do you ask them, is there a particular phrase that you need to be asking them to say? Mm -hmm. or? Nothing in particular, mm -hmm. um, as long as the patient's talking for a bit so, so you can listen to the quality of the speech and the words being used. Mm -hmm. So so the one is really is, does sound slur, slurred, um, and then the other one, are they using inappropriate words, or in severe cases, are they unable to talk at all, are they mute? Mm -hmm. um, so, so we're happy to, to consider any acute speech deficit uh, as a potential symptom of stroke. Okay, thank thank you so much uh, for that, Doctor Bray. So those are just then some of the things that you and I need to know. This is 
information that could come in handy in the case of an emergency. I'll be taking your questions for Dr. Bray on 011-714-2006. You can call us on any matters related to strokes. Uh, The WhatsApp line 0614-104-107. And on Twitter, it's at SFM Radio. The hashtag there is SFM Talking Point. So any questions you may have for Dr. Bray on uh, whether it's somebody that has suffered from a stroke or it's yourself and the treatment and any other issues that you may want to raise in this regard. So Dr. Bray, you touched on the fact that you're seeing younger and younger patients coming through uh, to your particular unit presenting with strokes. Why is that not a good thing? Sorry, I'm still lost, but I couldn't hear it. So, 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 so I'm saying you've talked about the fact that you're seeing younger patients coming yes. to uh, your unit presenting with strokes. Of course, it's not a good thing because they're ill, but why is that concerning? So... Typically, stroke has been thought of as a disease of the elderly. And in many countries in the world, it, it, it happens in patients 60, 70, and 80 years older. So, so much older patients um, and who, who typically have um, hypertension, diabetes, high cholesterol, and who are overweight. But what we're seeing in South Africa, a sort of accelerated version of that, in that we've got many patients walking around with severe undiagnosed hypertension, poorly controlled diabetes and obesity. And to compound this, we've got poor eating habits and a lack of activity, so a lack of physical activity. And this really seems to be making the illness much more aggressive and that uh, leads to them presenting earlier. The, the second confounder is that we have found that our HIV-positive patients uh, present, uh, they, they tend to have their strokes about 10 years earlier than, other, than others. And the exact reason for this is unclear, and it's something that, that is actively being researched, but it, it might be related to the HIV virus itself or the coexistent infections. Um, but we are seeing younger patients. And what this means is, if we are seeing patients with strokes who are having strokes in their 20s, 30s, and 40s, we are really affecting the the heart and the the the, the working force of the of a nation. So it means there's a loss of uh, 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 income directly from from that patient who's had a stroke, but then also it often means that an additional family member will need to stay home and care for that patient. So if someone who's in their 20s or 30s, which is meant to represent a prime, um, I, I don't necessarily agree with that, but really that is a time for, for key economic development uh, for oneself and the community. And if, if many patients are having strokes in that age group, there's a significant knock-on effect for the patient, the immediate family, and the community as a whole because it's the, the, it's a cascade of, of events and loss of income and support. Um, All right. And that occurs with our younger patients. All right, Dr. Bray, we're going to continue our conversation in a bit. It's just after 11.30. Luanda has your latest news update. The Talking Point with Kathy Mosasana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. 
For our health feature today, we're focusing on strokes and Dr. Naeem Bray is the head of the stroke unit at Tigerberg Hospital and also a lecturer at Stellenbosch University. And he's been really giving us the lay of the land in terms of where this country uh, stands, where strokes are concerned. And Dr. Bray, I I just want to read you this WhatsApp message that has uh, come through from Mark. And he says, are you aware that young people are getting strokes as well? In a neurology unit, the stroke patient population is usually exclusively young people. They usually need special investigation. They usually have causes like autoimmune disease, drugs, genetic disorders of coagulation. And he says they can even get COVID strokes like a young 14-year-old boy we treated. The doctor can elaborate on the cause of COVID strokes. Uh, so, Dr. Bray, maybe you want to comment on that further? Yes. So, so he is uh, completely correct in that uh, neurology units and stroke units do, uh, there is a bit of a bias in that they tend to attract uh, younger patients. Um, so while we don't have a strict uh, age cutoff, younger patients tend to be a bit more complicated and, and have rare causes for this stroke, which needs uh, more thorough investigation. Um, and and the, the, the causes for most strokes are cardiovascular. So it's hypertension, diabetes, high cholesterol, uh, heart problems, so ischemic uh, cardiac disease, uh, and atrial fibrillation, so the heart beats in a funny uh, or irregular manner. And that typically, all of these things typically occur in older patients. And that really is the bulk of, of most of the causes in patients older than 60. But in younger patients, we find that we've got uh, unusual cardiac conditions or vascular disease, um, or as is mentioned, uh, autoimmune illnesses or, or sometimes infections. With regards to COVID and stroke, um, there seems to be a link. Um, And the link suggests that you are probably uh, at between two and three-fold greater risk uh, of having a stroke than than your baseline risk. Um, And we're not exactly sure the reason for that. The one postulate is that COVID causes a coagulopathy. So a coagulopathy means there's abnormal clotting. And if you've got excessive clotting, you may clot in a distal limb and you may end up with an um, infarct of a limb or a clot in, in a leg uh, and that leg may become swollen. If that clot occurs in one of the, the vessels within the head, you may present with a stroke. And it will clinically, it will look exactly like every other uh, uh, stroke. Um, so that's the, the, the main uh, thought process. The, the other uh, process that does occur is if one is very ill with COVID, the uh, intense inf- inflammatory response does increase your risk once again of, of clotting, um, and that also increases your risk on a, on a separate basis. Um, there's a rare or infrequent suggestion that, that it might be causing cardiac disease, which may then subsequently lead to uh, a, a stroke, because a stroke is sometimes just a symptom of underlying heart condition. So um, 
the alternate name for stroke is cerebrovascular disease. So cerebro refers to the brain, and vascular obviously refers to the cardiovascular system. So you can see that that represents half the world. It's clearly a very important component. Um, so yes, in younger patients we see uh, um, different causes, uh, very rare diseases as well, and COVID does seem to increase one's risk. And probably, and, and I stand under correction, but between two and threefold compared to your baseline risk. And of course, one of the challenges is that oftentimes the recovery from strokes varies so significantly from one individual to the other. Yes, it, it, it does vary. Um, I, I need to mention um, that many of our patients, in fact, have a have a concern that you know have I my my parents have had a risk what is my risk of having a stroke you know is it hereditary or genetic and fortunately for most people it's actually not genetic it's not in it's not hereditary and what does that mean well it means that you the patient the person in the street have the power to prevent a stroke from happening so if we look at all the strokes in the world it's said that between 80 and 90% of all strokes in the world are a result of modifiable risk factors, 10 modifiable risk factors. And those risk factors are what I've mentioned before. It's hypertension, diabetes, smoking, um, abnormal cholesterol, a lack of exercise, and poor diet. And then depression and stress also play a role. And every single thing I've said there is modifiable. And if something's modifiable, it means, well, we can change the nature or change the course. You know, it's not written in stone. This patient will have a stroke. So that should give us uh, uh, some hope that it's, uh, that having a stroke is, is not inevitable. And given the current global trend, it's estimated that one in four people will have a stroke in their lifetime. One in four. So if you think about your friends, your family at the moment, and you just imagine a quarter of them have a st- mm. of them having a stroke, and maybe for all of those who have a stroke, about 30% may die within a year. Those are remarkable numbers. Um, but with risk factor modification, a regular diet, uh, a healthy diet, and exercise, you can significantly dis- you know change one's risk factor. If you're interested, I, I believe there's a, a, a app. I think it's called the stroke, uh, the stroke risk ometer um, that can be downloaded from either the App Store or the Android uh, Play Store, and you put in your age, your comorbidities, and it will give you a, a percentage uh, risk of having a stroke. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are interested. Okay. Thank you so much for that, Dr. Bray. Let me go to some of our callers, uh, some of our listeners, rather, who have started calling in on this conversation. Hilda, you're calling us from Phosphorus. Good morning, Hilda. Yes, good morning, Katie. Yes. I would like to find out from the doctor first that can the vaccine help in cardiovascular disease? Because I understand the COVID it's it, it heart related. It causes the blood to to, to clot. So, like here, we, we are getting a lot of people who are dying of a heart attack. Heart attack. When we check, they say it's COVID, COVID, and then there's heart attack. So now, 
we are quite concerned about this uh, Johnson and Johnson when they say the, 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 the side effects of Johnson and Johnson, it causes uh, 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 the blood to, to coagulate. And also this side, the Pfizer itself has got also a terrible side effect of it. Uh, they say it, it causes the heart to enlarge or my, myocarditis or something. So which is, it's not safe for using those uh, 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 vaccines if you suffer from diabetes, you suffer from hypertension, you've got also uh, uh, the, the cardiovascular problem. So that's why I want to know this vaccine, if they got this, and for people with this condition, how are they going to survive them? Because the, 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 the COVID itself, it causes the blood to, to, to coagulate. So now, where are we standing? Where this vaccine? Where does it help them? Thank you. Okay, Th- thanks for that, uh, Hilda. Okay, Doctor Brent. Hilda, thank you for an excellent question. Um, really, this has been on um, uh, many doctors' minds and and many uh, people's minds. You know, um, obviously, COVID is is a massive uh, uh, concern at the moment, and some people have obviously a fear. Sort of of the of the vaccine because they are side effects. I think to say that there are no side effects is completely inaccurate. What we need to keep in mind are the number of events that occur. So, so how frequently does it occur? And the rates of stroke and the rates of uh, myocarditis and the the rate of death from COVID itself tends to be massively, massively higher than from the vaccine. So while there are case reports of abnormal clotting with Johnson & Johnson and with, with Pfizer, uh, the last time I looked at the literature, the estimates were in the order of magnitude of about six per million people. Right, So that's six per million. Whereas the mortality rate for covid depending on, on how you uh, um, assess that, is in the order of uh, two per hundred. So, you know, two per hundred versus six per million. So while there, there are risks, there are significantly more risks of dying from COVID uh, infection. And one needs to be in mind that those who are at risk of uh, uh, um, dying are significantly, sorry, those with hypertension, obesity, and diabetes are significantly at greater risk of dying from COVID than the, than the normal population and from the vaccine. So if I were to summarize, yes, there is a very small risk of, of increased clotting noticed with, uh, with the COVID vaccines, but the rates of clotting, stroke, um, and mortality, so the death rate with COVID itself, especially in a high-risk group, is, is far, far, far greater. And I think the, 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 the side effects of the vaccine are sometimes um, exaggerated. And it's just because it's, yeah, that's, mm. okay. that's my take on that. Okay. Uh, let me go to Abby. Abby, you're calling us from Durban. Good morning. Good morning. Yes, it's Abby. Yes. Um, <laughs> I would like to endorse what the doctor said, that time is of the essence. And I hope my experience helps others too. In January last year, I was visiting a friend and I was perfectly fine chatting and laughing. Then I got up to leave. And as I got to the front door, I said to my friend, hey, 
my right leg feels a bit numb below the knee. And, well, I assumed that it was just some cramps from the way I was sitting. My friend said, go back and uh, sit for a while. As I walked back to the sofa, my whole leg went totally dead, like stone. And I sat for a minute and said, hey, my whole right arm is now dead. It was an absolutely strange and frightening feeling. You try to will your arm to move, and zero, <laughs> nothing at all. My friend ran next door where a doctor was staying, and the doctor came in a minute later and asked what was happening. By then, my, my speech was totally slurred. Uh, they quickly carried me to the car and rushed me to the hospital where a doctor was waiting, and the doctor put me on a drip. And uh, within minutes, my speech was sort of coming and going. Uh, I was in a ward for two days and in that time recovered fully. Uh, really no side effects at all, no after effects. And 10 days later, I went off to, on an overseas holiday. And until now, there's not the slightest sign of that stroke, and I thank God for that. So again, the quicker you get to a hospital, uh, the better your chance of recovery. So what a, what a story, uh, Abby. And I mean, at the time that, that you were experiencing this, did, did you suspect at all that it might be a stroke? Did the idea even cross your mind? Yes, while it was happening, I realized it was a stroke. And I said, well, this is it. I'm, I'm in for the, <laughs> for the high jump here. Mm-hmm. Uh, luckily, there was a doctor next door. And the most important thing is uh, that if I sort of waited around, and I know some of my friends who have done that saying that it probably would go away, uh, and it, it, it just doesn't. The longer you take to get to the hospital and get onto a drip, uh, the better your chance, as I said. Um, and at the same time, as I said, it's a frightening experience. It's a strange experience uh, where your arm just goes totally dead. <laughs> and, 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 and you're looking at your arm, mm-hmm. and it's like it doesn't belong to you. It's a very mm-hmm. strange feeling. Wow. Incredible. So glad that you survived, Abby. Thanks for calling in and for sharing the, and for sharing yes, the experience thank with you. us. Really, uh, you know, it's stories like, like this that really uh, inspire us to, to keep on pushing, keep on promoting uh, good stroke care. And it's always wonderful to hear uh, these good outcomes. You know, when things go, go well, when someone's aware of the deficits and, and what it represents. So really, yes, thank you for phoning in. Mm. Okay, let me continue with Scully. Scully, you're calling us from Durban. Hello, Scully. Good morning to you, Katty, and the, the good doctor there. Katty, good, good topic, Katty. My, my ask is, um, I go through um, cramps, man, at night, especially on the legs. And you know sometimes on the, on the ribs, um, what would what would cause it, and 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 what can prevent it? What do I take or anything? I listen on the radio. Thank you, Kathy. <laughs> All and right. Thank for taking my call. Bye. No problem. All right. Thanks for that, Scully. Doctor Bray. Yes. Uh, uh, thanks for that question. Um, so cramps are a tricky business to say the least. Um, they can occur as a normal phenomenon. So um, if we've ever done strenuous exercise sort of above what we normally do, we all would have experienced cramps in our lives. Uh, uh, life. And, and uh, the problem is when it's unprovoked, you know, that uh, if he's just lying down in bed and he starts to get cramps, that, that is clearly a problem. Um, and cramps can be due to many different reasons. So it can be due to uh, spinal cord disease. 
sometimes uh, a, a lesion in the brain or, or, or really a, a, a previous stroke, or it can be due to a neuropathy, or, so a problem with the peripheral nerve, or it can be due to electrolyte dysfunction. So my best advice is actually that you seek the counsel of a doctor and um, that is properly examined and that maybe the cramps are a sign of some other illness and if there's no other neurological deficit, then maybe he needs his electrolytes to be assessed or uh, a change in medication. Very rarely certain medications can increase your risk of, of cramps, but that's definitely someone who see, should see a doctor and be examined. We'll continue our health talk with Dr. Naeem Bray. He's the head of the stroke unit at Tigerberg Hospital. And today we are focusing on strokes. And I've still got some of your WhatsApp voice note questions uh, that you have for Dr. Bray. And remember, you can uh, still get in touch with us on 011-714-2006. The Talking Point with Kathy Mosasana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. So we're getting ready to conclude our conversation, but still uh, uh, some time remaining, at least 10 minutes uh, for us to get in all of the questions that you've been sending through, particularly on the voice note line. So Dr. Naeem Bray, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to play the voice notes and then you can respond to the questions from our listeners that they have for you. Hi, Kathy. This is Tokai from Bluefontein. I just wanted to ask on behalf of my aunt. They just said that she has a a clot on one of the heart chambers. So I'm not sure if they gave a medication that makes the clot to go away. But when I read on Google, they say that the clot can cause stroke. What else can she do? Because she only went to a GP. Can the doctor try to advise there on what she must do next? Okay. Uh, can I uh, answer that question? Yes, yes, you may, Dr. Bray. Yes. So, um, so the uh, clot in or on the heart, that is a very dangerous uh, situation. Um, there, there's a significant chance of that clot breaking off um, and embolizing or going elsewhere and uh, so it could go anywhere else uh, in in the body depending on which side of the heart it is it could end up in the lungs and you could become extremely short of breath or worse yet it may end up in one of the vessels in the brain and you could end up having a stroke so that is an extremely high risk situation and you should definitely be on a medication to thin the blood and prevent um, the clot from growing in size. And so gradually your body will uh, break the clot down, but you have to be on blood thinners. Uh, Yeah, there's no other way around that. And that is a serious condition. All right, Dr. Dre, let's take one more voice note. Good morning, Ms. Kathy. Uh, You have touched on a very uh, sensitive subject of uh, stroke. Yeah, it's Lennon speaking. Um, my wife is living with a stroke. She's now, it's about now three years now. So I need to know because her arm is, is still struggling a bit and it's still like doesn't want to gain the, the muscle of uh, moving the tendons to move the fingers. It's always closing up and then 
her leg it's limping she's still limping as she walks and uh, we have tried lots of things and the physiotherapy and stuff but she's still battling with her, her, her arm the fingers they don't want to open up the tendon is still stiff tight and what else can it be used for her okay so uh, unfortunately um if some someone has a stroke and uh hasn't received any treatment or the treatment has been unsuccessful then uh, one may be left with long-term deficits and and what he's describing unfortunately happens far too frequently so typically the the leg will adopt a very straight posture and the foot points downwards so that in fact you can't easily bend the knee to walk and you sort of have to turn the leg sideways um, to, to bring it around so it makes walking very difficult uh, and then in addition to that the hand tends to close in um, and, and sort of forms something akin to a fist and, and the arm tends to pull up and this posture um, responds if, if you catch it early enough uh, may respond to physiotherapy. Um, if it's three years, I would still advocate for, for physiotherapy, but if it's reached such a point that, that the arm is nearly fixed in that position and that you're unable to move it and it's really very stiff, then one may need to consider a medication such as um, a, a muscle relaxant. So there's certain... Uh, muscle relaxants that may be uh, prescribed by neurologists or physicians, but if it's if it's completely f fixed in that position, she may unfortunately need surgery to release those tendons. So the tendons connect the muscles to the bone, and if they are fixed, they need to be surgically released so that she may open up her hand and move her arm a bit better. But unfortunately, if if the deficit is uh, a number of years ago, improvement is less likely. And mm -hmm. so we have to consider a more aggressive treatment, whether that's medical or sometimes surgical release of those tendons to give it a better range of motion. Okay. Uh, thanks for that, Dr. Bray. Let me quickly take Anonymous. You're calling us from Nelspreet. Anonymous, good morning. Hi, good morning, Kathy. Before I carry on, I have to say, if I don't have FM radio, I don't do any work. I can't work. <laughs> I have to have that radio on, and then I'll cook and bake and do everything for you. <laughs> Great. Um, I, just wanted, yeah, I just wanted to tell the doctor, maybe it helps somebody. I had a transient stroke in 2013. I was 50, I think. And uh, I used to get yellow flashes in my eyes, you know, like those lightning flashes. And all of a sudden, it was like an electric shock in my brain, and I was completely paralyzed on the right-hand side. My leg felt like a log. I couldn't move it. My arm as well. But what I did, I immediately took two cardio disciplines, and I started dragging. Lucky, my dad's got a very big house. In a long passage, up and down, till I got a tingling finger, a feeling on my right uh, toes. And then I started walking up and down the stairs because I felt my I didn't want to be in a wheelchair. When that my leg came right, when I had a little bit of strength, I took everything out of the cuff and I used for with, with my left hand I filled a heavy 
you know, those big irons with water. And I started re-ironing all the sheets till I got a tingling finger on my uh, right arm. In the fingers. Tingling feeling in my fingers. Then I went to sleep. The next morning, I had a shower and I pulled out my tongue and my tongue was purple. It was all bluish. And that's the time I panicked. I called my big brother and he took me to the emergency room. And the doctor told me I had a stroke, which I knew, and I had to pay him 500 rand for it. And, and Anonymous, a- any particular reason why you didn't go to the doctor when you first felt the symptoms? Yeah, because I had a court case pending when I didn't have any money. I couldn't afford it. Mm. And uh, I heard so much about the hospitals. I didn't want to go. But uh, my big brother, he lives downstairs. I'm upstairs. And then he... Uh, he was screaming at me anyway. He took me to the emergency room and the doctor told me I had a stroke. And when he told me he wanted to make an appointment with a, with a specialist, I said, I told my brother, no, I'll go to the hospital. When I went there, they did a scan and they found out it was a transient stroke. Mm-hmm. And, and what has been and your recovery? And by stress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what has been no, your no, recovery? No, no, I was since... up and about. Yeah. I yeah. was up about, you know, I thank the Lord every day because I was up and about. I'm not a person that lies down. Immediately when I found out, I was, I'm telling you, it was impossible. Uh, Kathy, my leg, I couldn't move it. It was like a heavy log. Mm. But I dragged it. Yes. Okay. I'm a very determined person. Okay. I don't jump, jump right jump in there if All you right, don't mind. All right, Anonymous. Yes, Dr. Bray, go for yes. it. Yes. So, <laughs> so what she uh, was referring to, I think uh, it's called it, uh, uh, I'm not sure of the time frames. I need to ask a few more questions. But I think she was referring to uh, what we call a, a mini stroke or transient ischemic attack. Whether you think you're having a transient ischemic attack or a stroke, both are absolute emergencies, and and it and it should never be. I will wait at home to see if it gets better. Some in some patients it doesn't get better, but worse than that, you, you miss the treatment window. And then even if it gets better, it's been nearly say for an hour, and you're at the hospital, you still go to the hospital as an emergency because the TIA is a warning sign that you are going to have. Uh, uh, there's a very big chance that you will have a stroke. And it's not normal to have a TIA. There must be a reason. And so the doctor will need to find out what the reason for you having this transient ischemic attack and then treat that with the hope of preventing a stroke. Um, and so, yeah, so so uh, I'm very glad to hear that, that she's done, done well. But the, the message must be clear. TIAs, stroke, if you're thinking about it, if you think someone else is having a stroke, go straight to the emergency unit and tell them that you think you're having a stroke uh, because of the weakness or speech deficit, and then, uh, then, then the tests can start and the treatment can start. Dr. Dre, let me, uh, Bray rather, yeah. <laughs> let me thank you. <laughs> let me thank you so much uh, for coming on to the show today and uh, for sharing your insights with us. Dr. Naeem Bray, uh, he's the head of the stroke unit at Tigerberg Hospital. Thank you to all of you that have been part of this uh, conversation today on the Talking Point.